Tim DeFore is the Republican candidate for Auditor General. Not only would Tim be the first Republican Auditor General in nearly 30 years, but he would be the first African-American to be elected to a statewide office in Pennsylvania. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Welcome to Brews and Views. I'm Matt Briette, president of Commonwealth Partners Chamber of Entrepreneurs. I am downtown Harrisburg with a Republican candidate for Auditor General, Timothy DeFore. Tim, thanks for coming on Brews and Views. Matt, thank you for having me. I, I, I appreciate this. I'm excited. Well, we're excited to have you because uh, this is a, a statewide office, so you are going to be on the statewide ballot uh, come November 3rd, and every Pennsylvanian that's going out to vote uh, is going to see your name on the ballot. Uh, this is, uh, I think it's uh, kind of the, the, the non-technical term of being a watchdog, exactly. uh, the role right. of a fiscal watchdog. Um, and before we get into talking about the auditor general position, uh, let's get to know Tim DeFore, uh, the person, the, okay. the, the non-politician, really. This, you're not a politician, and, and no, I, it will show I, your as I, we talk here. Yeah, and, and um, I'm not. Um, my current role is as Dolphin County Controller. When I, when I ran, I, I made it clear that I, I wasn't a politician. It drove my campaign team crazy. <laughs> it drove, drove them nuts. You know? But um, I, I, I was myself. I was myself, and um, the voters of Dolphin County were very receptive and to, to see that there was somebody who was not a politician and could do the job. And um, it, was, it was refreshing to him, and well, I, I really enjoyed that. And, and you are highly qualified, uh, given all of your life work that you've done. Uh, but uh, you grew up here in, in this yes. uh, area, right? You're from Harrisburg? Susquehanna Township. Okay. Uh, talk about growing up here. What? Uh, t- tell well, about your family. I am, I am one of six children. Okay. Of um, Richard and Thelma DeFore. My, um, my father often worked 12 hours a day at New Cumberland Army Depot. My mother worked at nights as a nurse's aide at a nursing home. And um, they did that to make sure, one, there was food on the table for the kids. Mm-hmm. And my mother, working at nights, made sure that she was home during the day to, um, to take care of us, myself and my, um, my, my five other siblings. Where, where were you in the pecking order of I'm of number kids? three. Number three. I, I am, You're I am a middle child. I'm, I'm the middle <laughs> child, and there's always one child that kind of gets in trouble growing up. Well, I was that child. You were that one. Believe it or not. Believe it or not. I was, I was that kid that was always getting in trouble. Um, just, I was just kind of curious. Always, mm-hmm. always kind of curious. But um, I, I grew up in, um, in Susquehanna Township. I, um, I then went to Harrisburg Area Community College, mm-hmm. where I got my associate's degree. And I then went on to the University of Pittsburgh in Pittsburgh, where I got my bachelor's. And um, Harrisburg, you were having a master's degree in, in project, project management. But, but prior to that, so let me step back a little bit. Um, so as far as, as, far as my, my career, mm-hmm. um, and people are going to find this very interesting. Here I am, Dolphin County Controller, the fiscal watchdog for the county, running for Auditor General, the fiscal watchdog for the state. And you would think that somebody in my position would always love math and numbers. (laughs) 
that was the furthest from the truth. <laughs> I hated math. I was not any good at it. So what ended up happening is when I was in, um, in college, I took a finite math course because I, because I, well, of course you needed math in, in college in order, to, in order to graduate. Mm-hmm. So I took a finite math course and the professor taught the class with dice and a deck of cards. That caught your attention, huh? That, 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 <laughs> caught, my, that caught my attention for, for, for a couple of reasons. Uh-huh. One, um, after that, I started playing blackjack with myself, of course. But it, it, caught, it taught me to not be intimidated by numbers like I initially hmm. was. For example, if you have, if you have a, like one dice in your hand and you roll it, what are the odds that a six is going to pop up? It's going to be one in six. Mm-hmm. You have a deck of cards. There's 52 um, playing cards in a deck. What are the odds that an ace of spades is going to show up? One in 52. So realizing that and understanding that and the way that the class was taught, it took away my fear of numbers. And I then looked at numbers as representing something. Mm. And then so from there, I went on to embrace um, statistics, accounting, and finance. I'm sure lots of people can relate to having a teacher or a professor that taught us. Uh, I know for me, it was a history teacher that sparked my real interest in history. So it's interesting that it was a, you know, someone who taught differently. Exactly. uh, and inspired you for math. Right, exactly. <laughs> I never had that math teacher yeah, right, that inspired me. Right. Sorry to yeah. say. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so, and I, so I went from somebody who was intimidated by math, was afraid of math, to, to embracing it because it was um, taught, taught differently. So, and um, that kind of, um, that and some other things kind of led to, to my ultimate career. Um, that and my, my, my family. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, when we were kids, we used to go, um, go to Ohio, where, I'm orig- where I was originally born. I was bo- born in Toledo, moved to Harrisburg when I was about maybe about three or four. Mm-hmm. And for summer vacations, we used to go to our Uncle Robert's house. My Uncle Robert was the union shop steward at the Lordstown Chevrolet plant that recently closed, and it's now, I think it's now it's going to open, open back up. And um, so we would stay at his house. And before the family, family reunions, people that he would work with would come over to see him. And they're talking about problems on the job. They're talking about problems in their house. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that they would kind of joke about that always stuck with me was, what is the government doing with their tax dollars? They would joke about mm. it. But even as a little kid, I'm like, yeah, what good, does good question. what does the government do with their tax dollars? Uh-huh. And that's something that that always that always stuck with me. Mm-hmm. And then so as I got um, as I got older, and um, was thinking about a career path, this is what I chose. This is what I chose. I chose the career of making sure that taxpayer dollars are being spent the way that they're supposed to be spent. So I started, actually I started my career as an investigator at the Public Defender's Office, and 
I then went to the Inspector General's office, the Pennsylvania State Inspector General's office, where my career really took off. Mm-hmm. And that's where I'd like to say my career really began, because actually it did. And and the Inspector General's office is within the executive branch, exactly. correct? Right. And uh, what explain what the Inspector General uh, does, because we don't hear about that person or things that yeah. happen within that department much. Yeah, yeah. and what, what the Inspector General does, it's, uh, it's under the, um, the governor's jurisdiction. And the governor, um, the governor appoints the Inspector General. And they're responsible for investigating fraud, waste, and abuse within the state, different state departments. Um, could be Department of Transportation, could be Corrections. Any departments under the governor's jurisdiction it's the Inspector General's office who's responsible for conducting investigations of fraud, waste, and abuse. Also of any contractors who are contracted within those departments as well. It's the Inspector General's office's responsibility. So that, and this is back in 1990, I think, yeah, 90 ni- to 94. Back when I had an yeah. afro. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah. we can, you know, when we both had hair, when right? We, both we had can exactly date things to that. Hair. So, I mean, this means that you've been doing this uh, really for over 30 years. Yeah. Uh, a job that, which is unique for the position of Auditor General, because when we look back at uh, the, even the current one, um, they were not folks who focused on the numbers, right, or the math or uh, auditing per se. And most of them were moving on to the next office. So uh, when you look back at your career from the inspector general's office to working in the office of attorney general where you were doing investigations there as well, right, uh, to in the private sector as well, uh, finding uh, fraudulent behavior um, to uh, now overseeing what's happening at the, the county level in Dauphin. All of this really kind of goes into, uh, I guess, the question, as you would define the uh, Auditor General, um, what, what's the job that the Auditor General should be doing? Because, um, frankly, sometimes I don't think the Auditor General is doing what they should be doing uh, today. Right. Well, the, the, the role of the Auditor General is to assure that our tax dollars. I mean, we get, you know, we and others, viewers, your listeners, get paid. Get paid every, every week, every two weeks. And we also pay taxes. So we would expect government to watch how they spend our tax dollars the same way that, let's say, a family on a shoestring budget does. Mm-hmm. That doesn't happen. It's the Auditor General's responsibility to make government transparent with regards to how it's spending our tax dollars and to hold government accountable. Basically, um, to be the fiscal watchdog for, for, the, for the Commonwealth. Mm-hmm. And the way that the Auditor General does that is by conducting, conducting audits. And if there is a finding, if there's a misappropriation of how funds were being, being spent, it's the Auditor General's responsibility to make a recommendation to leaders of the House, leaders of the Senate, and to the governor, stating what the issues were and making a recommendation on how to, how to fix it. Mm-hmm. So that is the, the Auditor General's role and responsibility, to be the, the fiscal watchdog for the taxpayers of this Commonwealth. Um, I was looking back uh, in time of saying, oh, you know what? Uh, we haven't had a Republican 
as the Auditor General uh, in this last uh, decade, the last two decades. Yeah, it's um, been a while. Yeah, in fact, I went back and I saw that there's only been one Republican since 1960 that has been yeah. in this role. And it was Barbara Hafer, who some might say, yeah. well, she wasn't much of a Republican. Right. But yeah. <laughs> uh, so how did you become a Republican, Tim? What was Did you grow up in a Republican house? Or how did no, you say, I, you know I what, I'm not. a Republican? Yeah, I, I, I grew up, um, well, my father was Republican, mm-hmm. but he wasn't very political. Mm-hmm. Um, my mother, my siblings are, are all hardcore Democrats. Most of my family are, are Democrats. Mm-hmm. Um, I have an aunt who I was very close with in West Virginia, who worked for the um, the coal miners union, she was a Republican. But one so it's th- interesting. Both your your dad and your aunt, who were in uh, uh, unions, were the Republicans. Right, were the, were the Republicans. Okay. Yeah, yeah. How, how They're about actually that? the makers. Yeah, how, how, how about that? Yeah, <laughs> what a switch. So, but um, no, that's happening today yeah, now, right? Yeah, Is it yeah, not? Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, um, but. You know, growing up, I just was always fiscally conservative, mm-hmm. always. Um, I always felt that, you know, once I started understanding how government worked, that as a, instead of taxing individuals, look at how you're spending your money. Just don't, if you need something, just don't tax it or don't take it away from something else. Um, or justify it's, what you're already spending before you come right, back exactly. to me asking for more, right? right. Ex- ex- I tell exactly. my kids the same. Right, ex- exactly, <laughs> exactly. So looking, so um, looking at that. In addition, I had a lot of respect for for the late Senator John Hines. Um, you know, I, as far as what he was doing, he was also a fiscal conservative, but he was also philanthropic and cared mm-hmm. about his community. Mm-hmm. And that was and caring about my community is something that. Um, I always had, and, and as an, going into an adult, it's something that I always wanted to do. So it's those factors, and I also believe in states' rights as well. So, um, so it's pretty much those factors that um, that made me into a Republican. And also, I went to—I grew up in a traditional African American Baptist church, mm-hmm. um, St. Paul's Baptist Church, which is Franklin Reverend Henley was the pastor at the time. Very conservative church, mm-hmm. and so and all those together had an impact on me growing up and um that's when i knew i was going to be a republican always have been republican and always will be well so uh which is uh, of course a whole nother discussion that we could have when it comes to african-american communities and where they tend to align themselves party-wise which i always find interesting i mean uh if you know me at all you find out that i'm passionate about school choice uh letting kids particularly inner inner city schools have options beyond their assigned public schools. Uh, I serve on the board of the Joshua Group, uh, providing scholarships to kids to get to uh, area private schools. Uh, And these tend to be Republican issues, but are really the ones that are helping uh, uh, minority communities, uh, black and brown kids the most. Uh, So I always find it, it's interesting that those who are champions for it, Republicans, Um, it's really helping a lot of Democrats. Yeah. And, and it just goes to show you the, the divide mm-hmm. be, between the two. And, um, you know, just because something is a Democrat idea doesn't mean that it's bad. Something It's a Republican idea mm-hmm. doesn't mean that it's bad. What is, what is best? Mm-hmm. What's best? And um, right now we're just kind of yelling at each other as opposed to, um, you know, talking to each yeah. other. 
Well, we've seen we've seen some of that come together. I know that uh, of late we've seen some criminal justice reforms yep. where it's, you know, transcended the party right. lines and we've come together. And I mean, what's kind of amazing, it was under Governor Corbett, uh, a Republican, that we saw the big things at the state level. Right. And frankly, we haven't seen anything bigger than what Donald Trump has done uh, on some of these criminal justice things. Uh, of late. Um, so I'm hoping that we'll see more issues like that, education yeah. being one that I'm most passionate about. Yeah, and you, you mentioned, mentioned criminal justice. I, I serve on the Dolphin County Prison Board, mm-hmm. and um, it's, it, it is the prisons and the criminal justice system. They, they need to, need to be, be reformed. Individuals in prisons, in my opinion, there's so many of them that actually need help. Mm-hmm. And they're not getting it while they're incarcerated. Kind of more mental health exactly issues right, and addiction the, issues. Yep. Because and there, if you if you hear some of their stories, you understand why they became addicted to 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 drugs and mm-hmm. or alcohol, which led to them being arrested and then incarcerated. Mm-hmm. So so you have to treat the person first, as opposed to just locking locking them up. Yeah. Well, that was, you know, something that uh, uh, for me that was really eye-opening. Uh, it was when we had Jane Leader Janicek. Uh, her father was George Leader, Democrat, who was the chairwoman of our board at Commonwealth Foundation when I was there, that, um, that uh, she really opened my eyes to, you know, she said, Matt, you know that 90% of the people going in the front door of our prisons are coming out the back door back yeah. into our communities. Yeah. What are we going to do to make sure that they are productive citizens? Right. Uh, and how do we equip them so that they're not, we don't move them from uh, you know, the, the uh, state pen uh, to the welfare system, right? Exactly. We want to make them independent and equip people. And that for me was like, you know what, that's where it's not just a financial issue, but it's a human capital exactly. issue. Exactly. Because it seems as though, and I think the the statewide recidivism rate, I believe it's somewhere near 70%. Mm. And it seems as though, and I, I could be wrong, but I'm not sure if I am. And it seems as though that your local prisons, your county prisons, are the minor league for the state prisons. Mm-hmm. So when you have, especially a, a person who is entering the system for the first time, mm-hmm. there has to be something while they're in there and something once they, once they get out. That's that is going to make that is going to make sure that they don't get incarcerated again. Something in a community, mm-hmm. and I had talked to to um, several community leaders who work with inmates at Dolphin County Prison, and uh, this is when I was um, first elected as Dolphin County Controller. And one of the things that I that I asked them, I said, you know, with the with the recidivism rate being what it is. What's what's the problem? Mm-hmm. And, he's, and you know, he was explaining to me that well, we have all these programs for you know for the um, ones who are incarcerated, and we have them you know while they're here, and we have them right before the right before they get out. Once they're released, we give them back their belongings, and they're basically in the hands if they're still on probation if they didn't fill their their entire sentence, they're at the mercy of the um, parole and probation departments. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they're not necessarily getting the, the help that they need to help them get back yep. on their feet. Yep. And then so 
what they end up and they end up going right back out to the same communities that where they got in trouble in yeah. the first place. And if they don't have any job training or access right. to, and I think that this is where we're starting to take some of those steps of, of helping uh, people to find employment. I, I just, I recently heard that uh, flagger force, uh, which is, you know, when we're driving past a construction zone, the people holding the signs slow right. or stop, yeah. that they've done an incredible job of bringing former inmates into their business, uh, giving them something that they giving can do something. right away. Right. And then, you know, so there aren't, they aren't just thrown on the street. Right. Uh, exactly. Yeah. Well, these, I mean, this is a little bit of a side topic, but this would be an area as auditor general, you would or could have oversight. In fact, I was looking at this, that the only two uh, um, branches of government that you are prohibited as auditor general to uh, conduct audits on are the judiciary and the legislative branches. Right. Everything else is open. Yeah. So from uh, the executive branches, which is, of course, we've got all sorts of departments and uh, yeah. commissions and yes. from whether it's the Turnpike Commission, the Liquor Control Board, right. the lottery, uh, school districts all across Pennsylvania. Um, there are probably more entities that need a bit more oversight right. than you have days, time, employees. Yeah, you'd have to triple the size of the office. But, but, but <laughs> you at, covered them all. <laughs> exactly. But at the end of the day, it's, it's all about, about transparency. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and I, I, I say that not only because I'm running for this office, but if you aren't transparent with regards to your funds, mm -hmm. with regards to your, your expenditures, who you're receiving money from, who you're, who you're giving money to, um, and if you're a state agency and if you're not transparent, when a budget is created, when it's time to make a decision based on what, whatever funding that there is, regardless of how well you do an audit, regardless of how neat a budget is, it's going to be wrong because you're not going to have all the yeah, information. Right. And so that's why you, you have to be transparent, whether, it's, whether the information is good bad or indifferent if it's bad then you know what then let's do something to to work on that to make it better but you have to have all the information because if you don't whatever you do it's, it's going to be it's going to be wrong well and i would hope that uh, maybe an audit in one area of government might create a template uh for reform yeah. for everywhere else so that every agency is more transparent right. with how they're spending taxpayer money uh, because it does seem be. that, yeah, because it does seem um, that it is uneven, uh, right. that some agencies provide more information than others, that we have a lot of uh, websites that uh, could be significantly improved to give access right. to, to taxpayers, that we shouldn't always have to go through a right to know request, that, no. that something should just be able to access online without having to... Yeah. Be denied for thirty. Right. All of these it's things. Exactly, and yeah. and and to um, to, to follow up on that, there are some counties, and I'm trying to think which counties they are, who have all that information available. Mm -hmm. Every expenditure mm -hmm. that they have, it's it's available to the public. Now, when you're talking about you know an employee, you may you're not going to have the employee's name. You're going to have the employee's position, mm -hmm. and because I don't believe in having the employees name definitely have the position i think that that's that's fair game but it has all the all the financial information with regards to 
how much that position pays, um, the amount on the contracts, everything you would possibly want or everything that is available with regards to expenditures, it's um it's available on, on some of these counties' websites. And well, that's something that the that maybe the, the state needs to needs to needs to, to do. And one of the things that, that really bothers me is um is that for each state department, they don't necessarily have to share the information on who they contract with and how much a contract is. You is mean worth. right now they're not required no, to they're, provide they're, that? They're not, they're not required. Okay. They're not required to do that. Mm -hmm. um, and I know that I believe it's Seth, um, Representative Seth Grove in York County mm -hmm. is working on a piece of legislation that is going to make it mandatory mm -hmm. that, um, that contractors and departments pro um, provide that information, and that information is shareable to the um, to the general public. But right now, that necessarily that is is not the case, and that's 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 a bit of a problem. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure that there are some things that you uh, have thought about that here. These would be my priorities, uh, and I also uh, can probably say for certain that uh, there will be things that once you're in there will really pop at you of like, yeah. hey, we need. But uh, as as you sit sort of on the outside looking at the role of the auditor general, um, where do you see the biggest opportunities, the things that, that you think need to be addressed by this office uh, and that you would uh, look to tackle uh, in your first year in, in uh, 2021? Well, right now, of course, is how are COVID-19 COVID CARES Act funding, how's that being spent? Mm -hmm. um, and in some cases, we, we, we still don't know. You know, there are people who are losing their homes there are people who are losing their businesses, and they may be eligible for CARES Act funding, but they may not have received it. Mm -hmm. And um, why? So, yeah. so was that a problem in the whether it's unemployment? I mean, I know that's a whole yeah, different so, thing. Oh, the, as far as the website, <laughs> yeah, oh, that's that's yeah. that's the that's the next thing yeah. on my list. <laughs> um, but as far as how the CARES Act funding is being spent and where it's being distributed. That would that would be the first thing, mm -hmm. the first thing on my plate. Um, the second thing, and we had mentioned the unemployment unemployment website. What is going on with that? Mm -hmm. um, there are, are you know, uh, horror stories of individuals. One yes. who have applied for unemployment from as far back as April or May, who are eligible, still haven't received mm -hmm. received the dime. There and other, I have an employee who was never laid off who received two separate checks from the unemployment office and had never and even applied for I, it. I had, I, had, I had a friend, I think it was, it was back in July, who reached out to me. Who, this is someone who was retired from the state. And they had been, they'd been retired from the state for like maybe a good four or five years. They received a check for $11,500 yeah. for unemployment <laughs> compensation. And they were in panic mode when they called me. They said, Tim, what do I do with this? It's like, don't cash it. Exactly. exactly. That, was, that, was my, that was my first thing. So don't cash it. I said, you know, send it back to them. Mm -hmm. Try to call them and send it back to them. So, so here you have a, a situation where individuals should not have received um, unemployment compensation, didn't well, apply for it, but, but, they, but they're getting these huge sums, and, but yet still you may have other individuals who are are losing losing everything and legitimately and le should have exactly. received exactly so so why is that you well know? that to me looks like uh and i don't think the current auditor general has said hey how has the uh unemployment office 
uh, gone after. I think there were over 50,000 checks. I could be wrong, but I mean, it was a lot. It was tens of thousands, I know, of erroneously issued checks. Um, And not uh, not everyone was probably as... um, uh, scrupulous of saying, oh, the, I better not cash this, send right. it back. Exactly, right. There are probably a few people who said, I'm yeah. cashing this, uh, and has have we reclaimed right. that, exactly. recovered those monies? Because when, whenever you have situations like this where the, um, the government or any entity, where they put a large sum of money somewhere, um, whether it's with regards to a contract or CARES Act funding, you're going to have individuals who commit fraud to try to get out. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, and some you're going to catch. Others, others, you're you're not, um, and that's 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 the the unfortunate part. But the first thing that has to be done is, and I understand, like back in 2017, there was an audit of the unemployment compensation system website, mm-hmm. and at the time, I believe Eugene Tibasquale said it was put together with paper clips and rubber bands. So and that so that was 2017. So yeah. here we are, 2020, where we have all this. The demand is exactly, off the charts, it's off, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, so basically, in a situation like this, you have to go back. You have to go back mm-hmm. and and look at it again. Revisit audit, audit, what, revisit what did again. you do with what we told you right. you it's need exactly. to fix? Yes. So, so in a situation like this, when you're talking about a, a computer system, one of the things that I would do as Auditor General is when I do conduct the audit of that, web, of that database, I would use subject matter experts. Yeah. Um, in addition to the team at the Auditor General's office, you use subject matter experts who know that type of of um, database indoor website, mm-hmm. and you would bring them in one to help draw up the audit plan. And when you go interview the whoever you're auditing and get the information from them, have them analyze and review the information. They wouldn't be full time employees, so you don't have to pay them. Um, you know. As Pensions, a full-time health employee. benefit, exactly all right. the yeah. So they're basically be a subject matter expert. Yeah. But you would have to bring them on to to assist in the audit for a short time. Mm-hmm. And then when and then bring them on again when you write up your summary and your findings and your recommendations. Because the recommendations, not only would they be made by experienced auditors, but it would also be made by subject matter experts who mm-hmm. can give you a clear path with regards to what you should do going forward. Which is the important thing of, of having people who understand this. You you function as the auditor general, as almost the CEO of all the exactly, auditors, right. right? And pointing them. But uh, someone who has a nose for this, I think, yeah. is an important component or, or a, an experience or skill that you bring that really certainly your, your opponent does not, uh, given her background, uh, but I have to say, Tim, compared to all the other auditor generals we've had, uh, they were all just aspiring governors. Yeah. You know, that's the AG. We say that about the attorney general. Well, you could say that about the auditor yeah. general. Uh, and to that, I mean, is this a stepping stone for you? Are you this looking to what, go to another no, office? This is what I do. This is this is this is what I do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and as as we started, you know, when we started this conversation. Said I'm not a politician. And um, and even my staff, my my team with the um, the auditor general's campaign saying yeah he's he's not he's not much of a politician <laughs> but he's a good person. <laughs> I'd rather but, be a good person yeah, than a politician exactly. every no, day. But but this is I mean I've I've been doing doing this type of work for 
for, for 30 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, I'm really I'm doing it to, to, to do the job. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, you know, hate to sound cheesy, but, you know, with my years of experience and with my I, I feel blessed and, and fortunate and um, I feel obligated to, um, to run for this office because of what I've done in the past and, and the successes that I've had. And I truly believe that I can make a tremendous difference, not only in that office, but also for people across the Commonwealth. And that could, and that could be, you know, be um, the average everyday person. And that could also mean for, for large businesses, small businesses, and, um, and for, for school districts. I'm in it just to, um, to do the job. Well, if nothing else, uh, and I think there's a lot of reasons why uh, folks ought to support you on November 3rd, but if nothing else, it's to make sure that we have someone who's truly a watchdog of Governor Wolf for his last two years and even uh, over these past, you know, eight months of uh, really unilateral, uh, uh, but tyrannical, if I may, uh, decision-making, excluding the legislature, that having somebody there that's of the opposite party, I, I do believe that divided government can come up with good solutions. And uh, I think having a Republican in as the auditor general to look at a Democratic executive branch uh, would be benefit the taxpayers of Pennsylvania tremendously. Yeah, and like you said earlier, one Republican Auditor General since 1960. I think 1960 or 1961. In my, in my lifetime. Yes. In my lifetime. Yeah, right. One. But before, we, long before my lifetime oh my even God. began. Yeah. <laughs> so, and so, and when I, when, I first, um, when I first ran for office and I you know, researched you know, how many Republican Auditor Generals mm-hmm. had been within, within a certain period, when I saw that, I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Yeah. And it's, it's like we're giving individuals an opportunity to advance their their political career and um and it's like you know we republicans have pretty much said well we're going to give it we're not going to worry about this office yeah. we're just going to worry about the other ones but as far as the auditor general's office you know we're not going to we're not going to worry about it and um well 2020 2020 is the year that uh, we need uh, you tim uh right. in the auditor general's office i thank you for uh, joining me on brews and views well and i wish you well Thanks, Tim. Thank you very much. And if you do win, uh, we'll be back here talking about your audits. I am sure of that. Without a doubt. Looking forward to it. Come back anytime. Thank you, Tim. Thank you. You've been listening to Brews and Views, a production of Commonwealth Partners Chamber of Entrepreneurs. Find us on Facebook at Commonwealth Partners. And follow Matt Briette at M-A-T-T-B-R-O-U-I-L-L-E-T-T-E.